Yeah, I, uh, I love the longer form of podcast when we're in the same room, man. You know, like brew a massive pot of coffee. There's a couple of beers, and you just you just kind of shoot the breeze. But with with this stuff, like people are on a schedule. You know, we're usually slotting each other in here, there, and everywhere. It's like, yeah, man, let's let's go for a shorter one. Um, it's it, it's an art form. You know, something I I've only just come to a realization of. Of oh, the conversation is actually an art form. We need to be able to navigate it and and learn it makes sense i mean i i'm not particularly good at running my own podcast but i'm comfortable in a q a format so i'm along for the ride dude Tell me where you go with it. i appreciate your time man you know sure. you've done a lot uh it depends on who you ask uh, but yeah i've been doing what i'm doing for 16 years now so it's uh somewhere along the line what what was supposed to be a hobby or i i think in my mind was a hobby became a career and now i i mean it's definitely safe to say i'm at 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 the very least the halfway point of that career and uh i who knows i guess i might ride it out as a gym owner depending on what the next decade looks like wow gym owner is a big step right um, for me, it was, it was avoiding reality. So I, I worked in a corporate setting for, uh, three, four years out of college. And then I went back and I got my MBA. And when I finished my MBA, it was 2007 and we were heading into a pretty serious recession here in the States. And, uh, they call it the great recession and job opportunities weren't that great. And, my business partner, Eric, was considering opening a spot and he wanted a business guy, for lack of a better term. And so I said, well, I'll, I'll do that until things settle in the market and, and opportunities become a little bit more available. And I just never left. So here we are a decade and a half later still doing it. And it, it became a much more official and polished operation over the years. And so something that definitely feels like more of a career than a job at this point. But early on, I think I looked at it as a stopgap, almost something to entertain me for a couple of years while I waited for the economy to settle. And it did, but I just didn't move when that time came. Wow. Were you always had plans to go back into corporate? I'm sorry? Did you always have plans to go back into corporate or were you just going to shift um, to another role? I don't know if I had plans to, I just kind of resigned myself mm. to the mentality that that's what you do. I mean, I went yeah. to college, I got a business degree, I went back to school, got the graduate, the MBA program. And I think that uh, for a really long time, I was just operating as a robot the way that I thought I was supposed to go to high school, get good enough grades to go to college, go to college, see that through, get a job. And then just show up and work for the man in a nine to five type job mm. until you're ready to kill yourself. And I got there in three years pretty quickly. And then I thought, well, maybe it's it's not corporate that's the problem. It's just the role or the business I was in, the opportunity itself. And so I went back and got my MBA and thought I'd hit the reset button in corporate coming out of that. And I just didn't ever go back, which was a fortunate occurrence at this point. But at the time, I'd say the first 
12 to 24 months of running this business, I was always loosely under the mindset that I would be bouncing back into corporate sooner rather than later. Wow. It's so crazy, isn't it? The 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 common mindset of everybody's gonna do this corporate thing. So we're gonna put all these circles in a square hole. And if they don't yep. fit, we're just gonna smash them in there until the sides break, right? And you're yep. like, yep. um, I'm pretty sure we all got different strengths and weaknesses here, guys. You know, I'm pretty sure not everybody is bound to sit at a desk and do stuff on the computer. And that's awesome. Like they, I mean, hats off to people that do it. I don't know how you do it. You know, it's not how my brain works. I'm a little bit crazy and have to run around and shout at people that do adult PE, right? And um, we all got our own little niches and, and spots within society. And it, it's, it is funny thinking back and you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, literally everybody is shuttled into this, to quote yourself, robot mentality, right? Of go there, nine o'clock, come home, five, knackered, absolutely spent from the day from doing nothing. Right. And then you sit on the couch and I speak to my brother and he's he's doing the same thing. He is doing that. You know, um, I got two of them. One of them is doing what I'm doing and one of them's doing the complete opposite. And the one that's doing the opposite one is always tired. And I'm like, dude, like you work like half the amount of hours that the other two do. So, like, yeah, man, but I'm just drained. And like, I'm like, yeah, you've you've got to get out of there, mate. That's not for you. Yeah. This the turning point for me or the moment of realization that I needed to get out of my existing corporate role and at the time go back to school was I from the very beginning, I was working for the weekend. And so I would grind my way through the week. Friday would come and I'd be thrilled and I'd feel great. And then I'd have 48 hours of supposed freedom. And when I started to realize that at around noon on Sunday, I was beginning to feel anxious about the fact that the weekend was already almost over. That was that was a, a pretty rock bottom moment for me because I realized I was giving away the last 12 hours of that 48 hour window, worrying about what I had spent the whole week trying to get away from. And so at that point, it, it hit me in the face that I wasn't just working for the weekend. I was kind of only working for Friday night till Sunday at lunchtime. And then I let the the burden, kind of the weight of the impending work week eat at me. And that was just a, a serious moment of realization where I decided I, I have to step away from this, at least for a temporary period, because even then in my early 20s, life was feeling like, oh, this is short. Things are moving quickly. Why am I subjecting myself to this every moment? And sure, there are moments in the last 16 years of running a gym that work felt like work that's the way it goes you know i don't i don't do a somersault out of bed and fire it up to sprint to the gym every day but i've never ever once in those 16 years had a sunday like the one i described before i went back to grad school there aren't any moments now where i put my head on the pillow on sunday night thinking i cannot believe i have to do this for another week not once so that's why i am totally at peace with a role that pretty, I mean, definitely does not earn the way it would had I followed the corporate trajectory for the last decade and a half. I mean, I'm, I'm earning a living I'm at, at peace with and happy with, but I'm not, I'm not making five, $600,000 a year because I'm chasing an executive track in a corporate setting. But the people that I know who are, are almost universally miserable. 
And they're the ones who are the most fascinated in what I do every day, even though it isn't the same kind of cash machine that their job is. Yeah, it's essentially like choosing your hard, right? You know, you can you can take the corporate path and and do it that way, and it might be a little shiny, you know, with the with the figures on the screen. But then it might comes with a little bit of a cons with that as well, especially if being in that setting is not truly what lights you up. And some people it is, you know, and they're they're great and they they do really well and and that and all power to you. Or you go the other way, and we got to get up at four o'clock in the morning to open a gym for five, you know. Or, you know, you're in there for 12 hours or you've got to deal with people a little bit more than a computer screen, you know, and it's this weird soft skill dynamic that goes on or kids might come through the door or the elderly might come through the door and they might look at it, us, and be like, that's that's really hard. It's like, yeah, yeah, but I think sitting in front of a computer and going and, and listening to the dictator as your boss and be like, you can't question a single thing that comes out of their mouth. I think that's really hard, you know? So it's essentially, you've got to choose your hard. You've got to figure out what path you can. And to understand there's way more than one path. You know, there is a million paths out there. There's so many different jobs. You know, I think it's a real dangerous mindset of, oh, I can only go and do this. I was like, no, no, because then it feels like if you can't fit in, you've got dire consequences and you have no role right it's like no guys there is so many more jobs go be a binman if you really enjoy it and you like the lifestyle it doesn't matter as long as you can pay your bloody bills and look after your family great like we've all got we've all got roles yeah and i think the key is finding something that you find to be at least a little bit rewarding Mm. there was never a moment when i was working in marketing where I felt like I positively impacted someone's life. There were moments where I made the life of the sales team easier. I guess in that sense, I I positively impacted their, their day-to-day work because I gave them the tools that they needed to advertise the service or the product we were selling. But I can't tell you how many hundreds of times since I started this business, I've had athletes or parents tell me how important what we do is to them and their kids. And even right now, right this very second as we record, there's a woman in the gym and I approached her as I was doing a little bit of cleaning and I said, hey, isn't it your birthday? And she said, yes. And I was like, you should have treated yourself to a day off from the gym. She said, this place is my gift to myself on my birthday. And that is a that's a whole different level of rewarding from cashing that paycheck from that corporate world. And so, I mean, I'll I'll get off of my rant about corporate because it's not... (laughs) It's an important, it's an important piece of the economy. And my wife's in corporate and she busts her ass and she likes her job. So I I just know that it's not for me at this point in life. Mm-hmm. No, 100%, mate. Like I like discussing things in real time. You know, you, you, you understand different perspectives. And sure. my partner's in corporate too. I know a lot of people is in corporate and you're like, that's unbelievable. You know, we're just the, the weird cousin that doesn't really fit in in that room and then we kind of go into the side and everyone's like what the, the fuck are they doing over there you're like oh some sort of fitness thing that must be a hobby you know like fitness is still looked at as a hobby let's be honest um well there are hundreds of thousands if not i don't know millions of people in corporate who rely on people like us to be there mm. their moment of sanity in the day or the place where they go to offload some of that 
emotional distress or or just clear their head at the end of a shitty day in the office. And so we're we're right in it with them, whether we like to realize it or not. But we're a piece of the corporate puzzle in that sense. We're we're both mental and physical health for the people who are showing up to do those jobs. I really like that way of thinking. You know, we are the same puzzle rather than we are completely separate and two different worlds living kind of side by side. Is like, no, no, we are in the same one. You know, it's the separate, it's just, it is the same jigsaw piece. We're just in opposite cons, right? Sure, exactly. You can't have one without the other, I'd say. I like that a lot, man. Let's let's take a little caveat and go into what you do, shout out the business, give people a little lowdown, kind of the billboard marketing plea, so to speak. What yeah. do you do, both? So I am one of the co-founders of a business called Cressy Sports Performance. My business partner is a guy named Eric Cressy, who is has established himself as um, a bit of a shoulder and elbow and overhead athlete population guru of sorts. And we have carved out a pretty good niche in the baseball-specific strength and conditioning community. So we have two facilities, one in Massachusetts and one in Florida here in the States. And in each space, we service athletes ranging from, I'd say, 12 years old, on up to the major leagues. We also have gen pop clients, people like my wife, people like the woman in the gym right now who's celebrating a birthday uh, in her, I think, early 50s. I'd be okay with saying that in front of her. Uh, and we have uh, we have a reputation for being an athlete gym, but some of that is, is marketing as much as it is reality. Um, we have players from all 30 MLB organizations training in our two facilities we have we have players on every team in the league who will suit up tonight to play major league baseball and that's what we're known for but we we work with people from all walks of life it's just kind of a a lesson in knowing what you want to be known as kind of world class at and understanding that being the best at something is going to lead most people to assume that you're better than average at the rest of the things as well to help us drive leads so yeah, I'm the business guy in a, in an operation that has two facilities here in the States. Wow. So if I put my fitness geek hat on and the absolute meathead in us all, right, who got a little bit obsessed and a little bit too obsessed with, with fitness and that never dwindled, I'd say, wow, first of all, I don't know much about baseball as a sport. I know there's a ball, you throw it and you hit it with a bat and you run around the pitch. There's a lot of people go crazy with some beers and hot dogs, right? And you're like, mega, that's a sport, mega. I know what's going on, kind of. I know some of the rules, not all of them. And you're like, the S&C for it, where would you even start? I mean, obviously, you're like, cool, that shoulder, that elbow, mega. We're not going to be focusing on calf raises. We're not going to be hitting a 500-pound back squat for multiple reps. But you're like, okay, cool. The S&C for baseball where would you start it's not that far outside of the realm of all of the sports we'll say we're not doing a ton of olympic lifts yeah we're not we're not doing um heavy back squats like you're saying well there i mean it certainly takes place but it's not a center point of our our programming strategy 
I, I think there's a misconception that there's a baseball strength training program when the reality is there's an athlete specific program that we put out and, and the variable of that athlete being a baseball player is just one of the factors that we take into consideration. So I think that this is more about an emphasis on arm care and corrective exercise in a population where we see the same kind of series of, of types and forms of injuries. So that, that would be a differentiating factor for us. But if you walked into my gym right now, you'd still see people squatting, deadlifting, lunging, all the things. We're not reinventing the, the fitness wheel here. We're just a little bit more precise in some sports-specific screenings that we do. We have uh, thoughtful questions that we ask athletes in this population that maybe the average gym owner or fitness professional might not even think to ask just because they don't get as many reps with this specific athletic population. But I think in a lot of ways, if you came over here and you were to step into my gym, you'd say it's kind of got a powerlifting gym vibe to it. A lot of free weights, not much equipment at all. I mean, as far as machines go, uh, a lot of open space and turf for movement training. And we're just trying to focus on increasing athleticism and reducing injury risk, just like everybody else at every other gym that's worth their soul. So it's uh, uh, it's more marketing than it is science with our baseball specific strength and conditioning approach, if that makes sense. It makes complete sense, man. Like I, I love it. You know, I love hearing the foundation still being the foundation, no fucking movements. You know, a deadlift's not going to change. You're picking an object from the floor, you bring it to the hips, you're placing it back down to ground, right? A back squat's not going to change. You're placing something on your back, you're lowering your center of gravity, uh, center of gravity standing up, you know, putting it back on the uh, on the rack or the rig or something. Overhead press, a bench press, they, they're the same. You know, it's like, yeah, you're cool. We, we kind of need them to be a well-rounded individual, right? And the more well-rounded we are, hopefully, the, we reduce the risk of injury. Mega, perfect. And then we start getting into that uh, niche of the sport. And that's baseball in this this uh, opinion, right? And um, I, I worked with a lot of swimmers back in the day when I was back home. So it was exactly the same, same. Apart from they didn't do a lot of deadlifting. Not a lot of them have a crazy amount of control through their spine. And I worked with a hell of a lot of kids starting from seven going up to 18 right you're not going to be like okay seven you know pick up that 60 kilo deadlift probably not the smartest of ideas um plus swimmers are notoriously way overtrained right the two a days in the pool and then land train they come to you and they're absolutely spaffed off their off their face and their eyes are crossed and baseball from a complete ignorant standpoint right you do a hell of a lot of games. Is, is that that's correct, right? Yeah, at the professional level, it's it's a lot. It's a 162 games over a six plus month season, and they basically play six out of every seven nights. I'd say wow. at the top of the profession. Um, at the high school level, you might play 18 to 25 games in a season. That's in the three to four month range. But the problem with baseball, like just about any other sport on the planet, I would assume, is that kids are specializing and then overdoing it. Yeah. And so the it's not just a high school season. It's a high school season immediately followed by a, a summer travel season with a club team 
immediately followed by a fall ball, they call it, and then into showcases and things of that nature. Next thing you know, you've got kids who are throwing a baseball 11 and a half months a year. And so that's where we're running into issues. So it's it's not one season that gets people. It's the back-to-back-to-back-to-back initiatives. And, and each time you jump out of one and into the next, you're doing so with a new series of coaches and people who are pushing the envelope. And they don't have the context of how much work has been done to date or how much is sitting on the other side of their brief window of the year. And kids are getting overworked and don't know how to say no to their coaches. And so that is is definitely an issue. But I would imagine it exists with basketball players. I would imagine it exists with soccer or football, if you want to call it that, or cricket. I, I mean, you name it, it exists. These, all of these kids are told by the people who run these, these for-profit club programs that if some is good, more is better. And if you want to be seen by college coaches or professional scouts or things like that, you have to be at my thing. And you just, kids don't know any better than I might have the context and say, Hey, if you're good enough, you're going to get found. Like, for example, I've got a nine-year-old son who's proving himself to be a better than average baseball and basketball player. And he really wants to play club sports with his buddies. And what I have said to him since the beginning of, of him picking up sports in the six, seven year old range is I'm going to let you play club sports. You got to pick one. I'll sign up for one a year. And I would encourage you to play soccer for a season, play baseball, play basketball. And once you've done them all, I want you to come back to me and say, this is the one that I want to play club. Because one, they're stupidly overpriced. You know, we're talking three, four, five thousand dollars a year to be a member of a program. Two, they want to monopolize your schedule. And three, they're not particularly respectful of any of the other academic or athletic requirements in these kids' schedules, and the kids get pulled in every single direction. Mm. Like I coach in-town third-grade soccer. We have our first practice tonight for my son Colin's team, and we have a 12-player roster because they play seven-on-seven, and I've got four players who can't come because they have baseball practice, not in town, because the in-town club programs, the town programs coordinate, and they say, oh, we'll do baseball on these nights. We'll do soccer on these nights. But the club program says, if you want to play in the tournament this weekend where we have two double headers, you better show up to practice on Thursday. And if the kid says, well, I have town soccer or I have town little league or I have whatever, they say, we don't care. It's going to impact your playing time this weekend. And then the parents say, well, I spent four grand on this. So we're going to prioritize the thing I spent money on. And the circle just goes round and round. And you got a bunch of kids who are acting as if they're professional athletes at eight, nine, 10 years old. And by the time they get to high school, they're burnt out on the sport and they resent it. And so I'm trying to manage that with my two little boys. And I'm just not ready to sign them up for any of it. They play town sports with their buddies. They go out at recess and they run around. If we get a rainy day or school's canceled because we have a snowstorm, they're here at my gym playing every sport imaginable in the gym, running around, playing with the mini basketball hoops in our warm-up area, throwing a baseball in the pitching cage, slinging a football around the gym with my trainers who treat them like gold because they're the boss's kids. And they're just doing everything at this age. And I think that's sadly kind of a dying childhood breed (laughs) because you got six-year-olds getting run to club sports when they should be riding a bike and wrestling with their buddies in the front yard. And rant. 
Oh, dude, you go for it, dude. I love it. You know, like somebody who's passionate about about shop, about this thing that we we chose to pay our bills with. You know, I I I love it, mate. And I see it all the time with kids going into early specialization sports. You know, whether it's gymnastics, swimming, whatever, or they just specialize earlier than they need to. You know, back home we're I'd say we're a little better, but we're also not good because there's still pressure. You know, there's like, no, 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 you, you want to play in the league of football, rugby or whatever, you know, or we're going to try and go to academy in Manchester United for the under nines, right? And you're like, what do you mean? The under friggin' nines? i like, yeah. mate, that's kind of like show up and play football. Like, no, 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 they need to go through trials. They need to do this. We need to analyze them. I was like, first of all, that's a child. Second of all, that's a single digit child. Right, they don't know which age up. They don't know whether they put on their shoes this morning and they're wearing old socks. You know, it's let's just get them in, get them moving, get them having fun. You know, sports should be a way to help navigate through anxiety rather than piling more onto their plate. Right, we're living in this anxious world where everyone's getting freaked out over everything. I was like, yes, maybe we look at ourselves what we're giving to the kids, whether it's our kids or whether it's the kids that we're responsible for, i.e. a coach, they might have been like, no, no, you have to show up five times a week so then you can play this weekend. You know, I'm like, okay, maybe if they're 15, maybe if they're 14 and they're, they're closing down on, we we call it county, so uh, I guess playing for your state, right? Yeah, okay, fair enough. You're going to have to make a couple of sacrifices and couple some commitments. You're closing down on being an adult now. You know, we have to start learning different dynamics. But if they're not even in fucking high school, like I got so fired up about it, mate. Like I I used to go be the head SNC coach for a swim club and there was an old guy in there, ex-military. That was kind of the, the vibe back in the day back home. It was like, as soon as you finish the military, you, you coach swimming. And that was kind of the only thing that you did because they just stood on the on the sideline and screamed at kids until they popped their head out, threw up, and went back in the pool, right? And it was just this weird dynamic. And, um, yeah, he came around to me one day and was like, oh, they need, I can never remember the number, but X amount of metres in their body before the age of eight. If not, they're never going to make it. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, yeah, so basically you just got to thrash them until eight, and if they've... They've done these amount of meters, then we can work on technique. If they haven't, then they're as good as spent. I was like, it's it's eight years old. No, you must be out of your fucking mind. Like, no, 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 this is the way it is. You're like, but no, it isn't. You know, I'm not much of a swimmer no more, but no, it isn't. I agree. And I, I think it was the book Range by David Epstein, where he talked about how Roger Federer didn't really discover tennis until he was in his, I want to say his teens. He was a kid who played all the sports growing up and he became a rounded athlete. And it's probably why he wasn't burnt out physically and mentally on the sport by the time he was ready to physically make a jump. So I'm in the same headspace. It blows the minds of fellow parents when they ask me what what club soccer team and club baseball team is Colin going to be playing for? And I say, neither. And they say, but don't you do this for a living? And the answer is yes, exactly. I've I've spent 16 years learning exactly how not to raise my kids from an athletic standpoint. I've had 16 years of exposure to helicopter dads and kids 
effectively being dragged into our gym because dad said it was important. And, and you can see in the eyes of the kid who's here because it's their idea and the kid who's here because dad said they have to. And so I can appreciate the fact that we are a pretty real competitive advantage for a serious athlete who wants to play at a higher level. We're kind of a box that needs to be checked in this day and age because people are trying to optimize their on-field and off-field performance. But if the kid isn't the one who brought that idea to the table, then they're just, they're not going to check that box. Well, to its complete potential because they resent the fact that they've been pulled into the room. And I'm just not interested in my boys getting there at any point. If they want to be world-class athletes, great. They can work at that. I'll give them the resources they need if they ask for them, but I'm not going to tell them what they should want and I'm not going to force it on them. And it's funny because the, the less I push, the more they seem to want it. I mean, my son, Colin, same with Owen, but Owen six, they every single night when we get home, it's dad. Can we go play baseball in the backyard? We play catch with us. We throw a football with us. We take me out on the bike. Can we go play basketball? Can we do this? And it's, it's sport after sport after sport. It's all they want to do. And the minute the sun comes down, they say, Hey, we want to go watch the Celtics game, which would be uh, NBA basketball here, or we need to watch the Bruins hockey here in the States every night. They, they want to immerse themselves in these sports. So I know that they're serious about it and they love it, but I'm still holding the reins back on them because I've just watched too many great little athletes hate their dad and hate the sport at the back end of the process. And it's just not the direction I'm going because the reality is neither of my boys are ever going to make a paycheck playing a sport. I don't care how good they are in first and third grade, respectively. The chances of that happening are about as likely as me being the next CEO of Apple. It's just, but it's fine. We can play the game for now and let them have as much fun as possible doing it. But that's a reality that I don't, I don't know that it's a conclusion that many dads come to based on the ones who are paying my bills these days. And so it's an interesting kind of conflicting dynamic where I'm collecting those dollars. But at the same time, sometimes I just want to shake the dad by the shoulders and say, look at him. Mm. He's sitting next to you and he's dejected. He doesn't want to be here. He's pissed that you're going to drag him from here to hitting practice. And they're going to drag him from there to work with some sprint technique coach. And then you're going to go meet with the sports therapist. And all he wants to do is do his homework and then play some video games. And so it's it's just it's a reality that's around me all the time. And it's a mistake that I refuse to make with my kids. I love that. I love that perspective so much. And at the end of the day, we don't want kids getting injured. You know, that's that's number one. Number two, we want them to have fun. You know, and, and number three, I think we get caught up in sport being this professional thing. Right. And we've had a taste of corporate. We have a taste of being an adult and we're like, oh, it'd be great if we were in that that shiny thing that we all looked at, the little box, and we get to go play uh, on the weekend. You're like, yeah, for half an hour, for 90 minutes. And then we're like, I'm really glad because I don't have to get up at five o'clock in the morning and do three training sessions that day and my body being broke. It's like, yeah, but you're forcing that on a child, man. Like on a child, you're like, you know, you got to go play in the league. I mean, if they want to, and then guess what? Even if they want to, chances are they're not going to make it. You know, that's just the reality of things. It's the top 0.1% of of people ever make their money 
like good money play in the league you know the premiership the nba the nfl you know that's fucking hard it's not like oh yeah i i set my mind to it i'm gonna go play is it no dude you've got to be good enough as well I and mean, you also need to win the lottery in this genetic thing yep and you need the the means the resources to capitalize on those genes just being genetically blessed isn't enough to get you there at this point sadly and so it's it's a multitude of factors but the reality is i treat sports from a youth athlete perspective as much as a tool for developing character and teaching life lessons as it is a potential means to earning a living uh and it, well it's not even close but in some cases it might get you into a good college in some cases it might be a dream that you chase for a little while early in your adulthood but you just don't make it to the show as they call it very often and i'm fine with that and I, we do spend some time talking to our clients about it as well we we have to be honest with our clients we've got people who are are world class in the sense that they could even be in consideration for professional sports but they're still not going to get there and those are hard conversations to have but we do have them fairly often honestly on an almost daily basis between our two facilities well, you have to, otherwise you're doing them a disservice, sure. right? You know, you're rubbing up a pipe dream and you're like, yeah, yeah, you can do this. And you know, they can, but it's there also is another possibility that might happen, you know, and it is our responsibility to teach life through this medium of fitness that we chose and that, that they've chosen. So if they don't make it, they're still a decent person. And if they do make it, they are still a decent person. You know, that's, that's the main thing, man. Agreed. Brother, thank you so much. This has been an honor and a privilege. I appreciate the invitation. It's always good to talk shop on this stuff. And I don't I don't often unload my thoughts on parenting and sports and things of this nature in this type of forum, but it's been therapeutic for me, like a cathartic oh. experience. <laughs> thank you, brother. I'd say it's always a privilege to hear what people have got going on in that, that little noggin of theirs, right? Especially when it's when it's towards something that we we love so much, you know, our job at the end of the day. Thank you. You have a great rest of the day. Enjoy the is it, uh, football practice. Yep. Soccer to me. <laughs> uh, soccer to you, yeah, and, and to the internationals. So uh, enjoy that, and we'll talk soon. Take care. Thanks, brother. Bye, everybody.